You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you. And they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember... This is a deal that cannot be cloned. We call it slicking the bean, choking the chicken, giving yourself a hand, auditioning finger puppets. There's a million and one names for the old five finger shuffle and yet hundreds of millions of people are unable to sauce the taco due to disability, aging or illness. That's where we come in if you'll pardon the phrase. At Bumpin', we've created the world's first accessible sex toy, so people with limited mobility, hand issues, and disabilities can celebrate Palm Sunday just like everyone else. If you agree that everyone deserves sexual pleasure, help us spread the self-love and fund an orgasm for those in need. Give the gift of the big O at GetBumpin.com. That's G-E-T-B-U-M-P-N dot com. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Hey, Kristen. I'm okay, but if I'm really honest, I haven't been doing super great lately. I'm kind of super, really, really down. Oh, no. I'm sorry to hear that. What? Well, you and I talk all the time. We talk every day. And you know I've been thinking about going to therapy, but I've been mm-hmm. to therapists before, and I'm afraid that a therapist wouldn't understand all my disability stuff. And you know how much I love talking about disability, right? Yeah, I hear you have, like, a whole podcast about it. Right. I mean, yeah. I talk about it all the time, everywhere. And I'm just yeah. worried that I don't want to explain to a therapist, like, what is ableism? What is disability? Like, I don't want to do that before we get into my stuff, you know? Yeah, that's fair. You shouldn't have to, like, fully educate a therapist before starting a therapeutic process. And I think that's really hard because, honestly, you deserve support from someone who gets it. You get it? You're my best, you, like, you're my best friend. You get it? What do you think I should do? I mean, I think you should find a disability-informed support person to help you work through this if 
anyone listening to this is interested, I'm actually offering disability informed support for $40 per session. Whoa, whoa, $40 a session? That's super cheap. The last time I checked, one session was like over a hundred bucks, but we can still talk about disability stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Like everything from like physical changes in your body to ableism and exploring internalized ableism, grief that comes with disability, chronic pain, all that good, terrible stuff that so many of us live experience. It's so fun, isn't it? It's it's so great. Yes. And I, I know you also do, you also offer support for non-disabled people too, right? Yeah, I do support for able-bodied and non-disabled people as well because really, I mean, everyone gets sick or experiences illness or vulnerability at some time in their life. And well, that's a different experience than living with chronic disability. I think it's all very related. And if you're going through any sort of life change where you're having grief related to bodily change or body difference, I'm more than happy to support you with that as well. I think everybody deserves and needs affordable support. I think that it's such a great thing you're offering and I want to make sure that all the lovely listeners of Disability After Dark can reach you. How do they do that? Okay, well, right now they can reach me by email. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S one zero at gmail.com and you can email me there to ask me questions or uh, let me know if you'd like more information or you can go straight to booking a support session with me. Awesome. Well, I, I can't I can't speak any more highly of this amazing thing. I'm so excited that there's finally disability-centered support for stuff like ableism and for stuff like internalized ableism and all the stuff that we go through that we never get to talk about. And thank you so much for offering it and for putting yourself out there, Kristen. Aw, thanks, Andrew. I hope you feel better soon. Me too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on episode 314 of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your delectable disabled host, Andrew Gerza. Let us get comfy, cozy, and crippled. And get the show started, shall we? First things first, if you want to support this groundbreaking program, Shining a Bright Light on Disability Stories, one of the only podcasts out there really doing that right now, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledging as little as $1 a month or $5 a month or more to support the show if you're able to. You can even support us via a yearly budget if that works for you. Um, and you can do that all via Patreon. I would really appreciate your support. And if you do that, you get the show one day early, completely ad-free, and a sexy on-air shout-out from me. So consider supporting us that way, if you can. 
Another way you can show your support to us at Disability After Dark is, of course, to go wherever you're listening right now and leave us a five-star review. It really does help people hear about the show. It really does help people learn about what we do here and why it's important to shine a bright light on disability stories because we don't have enough of them. So um, support us by leaving a review if you're able to. I would really appreciate that, friends. And now, on to the show. Long-time listeners of this show will know one of my favorite series to do on this program is a show that I've entitled, What Would Happen If You Became Disabled Tomorrow? And it was a show born out of my desire to talk with non-disabled queer people who do not live with disabilities and pose to them questions about what would happen if they ended up disabled tomorrow and how they might feel that would change their life. And that's what this episode today will be. Today, I sit down with my friend Hugh Hugh Crothers out of Melbourne, Australia, who is the founder of DRIP. They are a burgeoning sex product company, and they're, they're working on making awesome sex products like lubes and stuff like that for sex that are ethically sourced. Amazing, amazing products. And they've, we've, we found out about them through Bumpin', and I've kept in touch with Hugh since we, you know, launched Bumpin' and did all that stuff, and they're really, really cool. And I wanted to pose the question to Hugh, what would happen if he became disabled tomorrow? And what I love about this conversation is how organic Hugh was and how organic he was in saying, you know, he says throughout the interview that his, you know, becoming disabled might devastate his life, might make him feel um, different about things. He might lose certain things he he does right now in his day-to-day. And I love the honesty there because I think people, when we don't think about becoming disabled and when we do, that can be a scary prospect. And in the interview, we talk a little bit about how that is scary. And I think that's so important for people to recognize and to talk about. And I love kind of bringing people in, in this space where saying how they really feel about becoming disabled isn't a negative and isn't, I'm not, they're not shamed for how they feel. We're just having a conversation. And I, I my hope is that with doing this with Hugh, other people can hear his, his fear around disability and, and think, oh, I felt the same way. I feel the same way sometimes. The idea of becoming disabled does scare the shit out of me. Here's why. And I really think that it, it, talking to queer non-disabled people about this really helps to shine a light on the ableism within our communities that we need to be talking about. So I'm really thankful that Hugh agreed to sit down and chat with me. And I hope you enjoy the interview. So without further ado, here's my interview with the founder of DRIP, Hugh Crothers, right here on Disability After Dark. Hugh Crothers, hi. Hi, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. You and I, we've chatted off the air a couple times now, um, and we've done stuff together. And we actually recorded one of these about a year ago, and then I was like, a year has passed. I don't know what we talked about. What did you do it again? And so you said yes, and so here we are. And yeah, it's funny. A year on, there's so much has changed in that time as well. Um, I mean, yeah, COVID was, we were still in like a lockdown here. In I'm from yeah, Melbourne, yeah. Australia, uh, just for the for those listening. 
Um, I, there's one thing we do here where we acknowledge country. Uh, we acknowledge that we're, we're on stolen land. Uh, Indigenous Australians' uh, sovereignty was never ceded. Um, and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Um, I'm joining you from the Wurundjeri land, which is uh, the city known as Melbourne or Nam uh, here in Australia. So thanks for having me, Andrew. I love that. Thank you. We do. I don't have it up in front of me. Uh, and we definitely have a land acknowledgement here in Canada too, which I will not destroy by doing it wrong. But I know we have one. And I, we're, I'm also on stolen land. And, and thank you for reminding us of that because we as white settlers have to be reminded that we're often on other people's land all the time. So thank yeah, you for that. Absolutely. absolutely. No problem. Thanks for having me on the show. It's yeah, as you were saying, I was uh we kind of did this a year ago, but a lot has changed in that time. Um we were in a, a very serious or very long lockdown here in Melbourne, Australia. Um and actually monkeypox wasn't even a thing back then. <laughs> it really wasn't. And then all of a sudden, like over the last four or five months, it's like when it's become a pretty big deal in the queer spaces and I have a lot of feelings about that and I have a lot of feelings about the way that our um, governments and our media have been talking about it and targeting certain communities and while I understand why I also think that it, it can be a bit queer phobic and a bit homophobic and a bit like problematic to be like yo queer men who are who maybe have sex with more than one partner or have more partners you and only you want to get this shot. It was like, that's not true. Yeah, there's some, there's like a fine line there too, because initially the messaging was trying to be very broad and not necessarily target um, men who have sex with men uh, because of the, I think, the trauma of the AIDS crisis and that sort of homophobia yeah. that came out of that. So uh, I completely understand what you're saying, but there is also um, some pretty uh, significant facts now that it is, um, highly relevant for people who are having, you know, kind of hookup type culture sex. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and you know, the the behaviour and cultural behaviour that is very normal in, in gay communities, um, be it, you yeah, know, yeah. cruising, dark rooms, sex on premise venues, like all of this type of culture um, that we're so lucky to have. But, uh, yeah, it's also been, um, yeah, really uh, devastating to see some of the experiences of, of of people and then the shame and inherent things that come with you know these incredibly um graphic uh, and visceral lesions and um people's stories i think there's been some incredible examples of real bravery uh and courage in people sharing particularly in i've noticed in twitter and spaces where um the things that have really stood out to me are um men who uh you know sex and sexuality is their life in that they're only fans content creators or um you know performers and these people have very um honestly and openly shown what the visual uh, what what it looks like to have monkeypox you know around your face around your body all these yeah. types of things and i think that's so brave to put their essentially putting their kind of career and their livelihood on the line to ultimately improve and benefit the community uh, i think is something really heroic and um yeah i don't think i've spoken really about that but it's certainly something i've been thinking of when um when scrolling uh and seeing all that sort of stuff anyway uh, i don't want to kind of get distracted by the monkey box vortex don't worry this whole show is about like like we sometimes talk about disability and then we mostly go off on tangents it's fine it's fine it's good it's good you know you were talking a second ago about about you know the people showing their stuff 
I think that I think not entirely the same way and also completely differently, but the, in the same vein of like disability, disabled bodies showing disabled bodies. Not, again, not the same. I'm not saying that disability and monkeypox are the same. I'm saying that the the like balls to show that on a in a public platform is really it's fucking scary, but it's necessary. Absolutely. And it takes courage and bravery uh, to do both those things. And I think that's a really um, legitimate acknowledgement. Uh, and yeah, I'm always in awe of people living with disability who can show that so proudly. And I think we were just talking earlier, Andrew, about uh, Queer as Folk and the latest season of that, which I, I hadn't seen you since you starred in that episode. Uh, and I think that show definitely uh, broke some barriers in. I hadn't seen uh, on television that sort of um, in- intimate experiences of people living with disability, um, wh- which I think they really graphically uh, and very vividly did. And it was beautiful and um, heartfelt and intimate and warm and uh, all the things that you kind of want from a and sexy, which is ultimately what you want from a you know a sex scene in those shows. Yeah, I mean, as far as I as far as I as far as I know that whole show but particularly the the or the orgy scene the disabled um sex party scene and some of the sex scenes were the first of its kind on television and like that's incredible to know and like those listening haven't heard my like i'm gonna do a whole episode on quiz folks so don't you hear more but doing doing that whole doing that and being a part of that like i remember when we filmed that at the end, when we finally were done filming the sex scene, the director stopped everybody and was like, I just want to thank you because you've created TV history. And like, there I was in a sling with my ass out, like shooting it. And it was so cool because like, never had you seen this on television before. Never had something like that. Queer disabled people being sexy, fucking being mm. like promiscuous, being, you know, dirty, yeah. being, like, quote unquote inappropriate has never been seen before on TV. And that was like to have the director stop the whole thing and be like, you just made TV history was to be a part of that. I'll never be not proud about that. Mm. Yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You really, yeah. You felt that in the show. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope there's more. I don't know if they've announced if there is or not. I have not heard yet, but I told them that when I rapped, I was like, if you need cute boy, because that was my name, (laughs) if you need cute boy to come back and do more scenes or like suck a dick or like be be a regular, let me know, let me know. And they were like, all right, we'll we'll call you. So who knows? (laughs) Who knows? Oh, they've got your details. So I'm sure you'll be the first to know if if you get the call back. Yeah, yeah. So let's back up a little bit because you and I just jumped into like a friendship chat, which I love. It's, It's awesome. But for anybody listening who's like, who is this guy? Can you introduce yourself to us a little bit? Tell us who you are, what you do. Of course. So uh, my name is Hugh Crothers. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. I'm a cis gay man based in Melbourne, Australia. And I'm the founder of a sexual well-being brand called Drip. Uh, Drip uh, essentially creates premium products for uh, the curious and diverse um, people who, um, yeah, are, are into sex. They're all made here locally in Australia. Um, they're all, you know, vegan, uh, organic ingredients where possible. They're dermatologically tested. Uh, we have an oil-based lube, a water-based lube, uh, a sex toy cleaner, and a morning breath spray. 
the whole range is sort of based around this idea of trying to minimize friction. So if this is you, Andrew, and this is you experiencing pleasure, how do we kind of get you closer? Uh, and for those listening on a podcast, I've got my left hand out on uh, near my shoulder and my right hand out near my shoulder, kind of bringing them together. Um, so the products are all in convenient sizes, really um, trying to mimic queer uh, sex and uh, the way that queer people have sex. So they're in small sizes with lockable tops. So you can take them if you go cruising or go to a hookup or, um, uh, you know, uh, potentially at a sex on-premise venue, a sauna, a spa, whatever. Um, they're also uh, in lockable tops so they don't leak all through your bag or, you know, have all the sort of clunkiness of a lot of um, sexual well-being products that are in the market. Um, it, yeah, I, I, wish just, I, you know, I wish I could be closer to you because I'd love to test and see because I'm somebody with limited dexterity. So I'd love to test and see like how usable for somebody with limited dexterity because, you know, with Bumpin, Heather and I, what we really tried to do was create a toy that was for people with limited dexterity, limited grip, limited hand motion. And as you were talking about the locks and all the, all the stuff that your product can do, like, can do i was thinking my first thought was cool what about accessibility like how does all that work so like i'd love to yeah so the smaller units i'm i'm to be honest i'm not sure we haven't tested them with people with limited dexterity however we are launching a 250 mil bottle which is a really large size really easy to you you know easy to manage and handle so why don't i will send you some we i think we get them at the end of next week and i've got your address so i'll send you a bunch uh, and you can I would, totally yeah. give us a, a review or a, you know, um, yeah, let us know. I'll give you, I'll give you like a gentle, like, you know, and if it doesn't work, I'll be like, here's what, here's how I think this could be better. Like, cause I, I mean, my... I'm happy to just completely read us, uh, <laughs> if, if you like, uh, drag us, uh, cause I always want to be improving and, and creating them, you know, making the products better. Um, one thing I will also mention is in addition to the products under the brand Drip, we also have a sex positive online content platform called the Drip Feed uh, that can be accessed at www.dripfeed.life or you can find us on Instagram or TikTok uh, under those handles as well. And essentially that is curated content um, by uh, and for, you know, sex therapists, sex uh Ologists, uh, sex workers, uh, queer people, um, people who have disabled people. Right. Disabled people. Absolutely. Andrew has written, uh, I think, uh, one article and we've done a feature on, on bumping as well. Um, so that's there. We release fortnightly content and that's there to really, again, support people. Uh, I think it's a bit of a love letter to my 18 year old self. Uh, I grew up. Oh, queer I love the- that. Thank you. I grew up queer uh, in sort of conservative suburbs of of Melbourne. And after coming out, I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a terrible experience uh, compared to some people, some queer people when they come out. However, um, I really lacked any knowledge around sex and how to have sex. Um, I have two straight brothers and both of them probably didn't have any education either, but mine was even less. The fact that I wasn't um, having sex with the opposite sex. And yeah, so I've I really mean, felt at I, 18, I, I too have two straight brothers and like, like, you know, they surely had the same, like ed- the same education as each other of like, okay, here's how you don't make a baby. And here's how you like, you know, but for me, I go into health class and be like, well, what if I want to be with that boy over there? What do I yeah. do? 
Totally. And where are all the practice, like, where's that like gay uncle that you need? Who's going to teach you like how to douche. He's going to teach you how to suck dick properly. He's going to teach you, you know, how to, I don't know what poppers are. He's going to teach you. I um, still all- need that guy. I'm 38 and I still need that person. I need to be that, to be that, um, you know, that auntie, that uncle, uh, uh, who is there in the community to try and, and we're, we're not writing any of this stuff ourselves. We're curating it and getting it from the community itself. So if you want to learn about kink, if you want to learn about BDSM, if you um, are a postpartum woman and you want to understand the experience of um, getting back into pleasure after giving birth, uh, all of these groups that are sort of left out, you know, including people living with disability, Andrew did a wonderful article on there about having a threesome for his 30, 30, 30th birthday. Was it 30th? 35th yeah. um which is beautiful and erotic and and fun um so yeah we're sort of uh out there creating that content um and creating the products in addition to all of that we also do playlists to have sex to or drip mixes we call them uh you can follow that on spotify if you just look up drip uh, drip intimacy or sex and intimacy uh and they are fortnightly playlists curated by djs who we pay to create we should um, we should collaborate and make one called the crib mix about how to have playlists that you play we're gonna have disabled sex okay sure sounds great i just um, i made that up on the fly you can say no but like (laughs) we um so we have djs i mean maybe we can give that brief to a dj or do you know any uh famous disabled djs uh I can put a call out for one. I'll put a call out after one of the That would be great. Well. I would love to. to yeah. So we don't make the playlist ourselves. The DJs make the playlist and we then publish it, give it a sexy title. Uh, it's sort of two hours or so, and they can be anything. Some of them are sort of meditation music. Some of them are really heavy techno. Some of them are sort of soul, jazz, R&B. It really all just depends on the individual DJ as to what they put together. But um, I would awesome. love to with something specifically for uh, disabled sex. I think that'd be so fun. Like I'm the songs I'm thinking about right now are like, you can do it, put your back into it. Like all the physical <laughs> things that like all the physical things that people think we can't do. I'm yep. thinking about like, what sexy songs could I apply to disability? That could be really, fun. we should totally collab on that somewhere. It'd be so fun to, to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um so yeah, that's a little bit about me. Um, we are also, we also have three community partners and this was the reason we met Andrew. Um, but was, uh, at the, at checkout, when you buy our products online, we donate 5% of, uh, the sale to one of three, uh, community organizations, uh, one of which is Bumpin', um, uh, Andrew and Heather's, uh, tech t- sex toy startup. Sex um, tech startup. Yeah. Yeah tech startup uh and we also then give to or donate to black rainbow which is a queer indigenous organization here uh, based in australia and also the scarlet alliance which is the peak body for sex workers uh here in australia as well so when yeah when checking out you get to choose one of those three organizations to donate to which is the reason that i got to meet heather and andrew uh and the reason i'm chatting on the show today and the reason that you're here right now yeah exactly and I love, I love all the community activism that you do. And you're like, as you're doing the work, you're also giving back. You're making sure that the marginalized people that you get to write for you and get to tell their story are being compensated. Like you really, you're doing it the right way. And I really appreciate that because a lot of people are say, say they're doing it the right way and aren't or aren't, don't have the resources to, and you really are putting your money where your mouth is. So 
Thank you. I mean, I really uh, admire you and all the work you do. So to hear that coming from you means a lot. Thank you very much. It's well, no, you really do. Like, and I've worked with you on for multiple things, and we 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 will work together again. So, like, it. I just think the way you're doing it is really awesome, and what you're trying to do is really cool. But so part of the reason why I wanted to bring you on today, even though we we recorded a version of this a year ago, but I was like, it's way. It's we did it a year ago. And we should do it again now. So here we are. But I, I love bringing on non-disabled people and asking them questions about disability and asking them to play a little thought experiment with me and play with the idea of what would happen if you, Hugh, became disabled tomorrow. So let's imagine, for the purposes of this pretend experiment, that you woke up tomorrow and you went from being able-bodied, totally yourself right now to being a wheelchair user unable to walk unable to like help yourself unable to do all the things you take for granted and so I want to kind of just play play in that world with you for a minute and ask like if you were first of all when I posed that question to you like if you were to become disabled tomorrow how does that question feel for you Mm. I mean yeah, it would be devastating. I know that's, um, yeah, I, 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 so much of my, um, you know, my life, my self-worth, my purpose, uh, is based on me being able-bodied and moving and, um, you know, being fit, uh, going to the gym, exercising, walking, meeting friends, you know, there's sort of an effortlessness that comes with being able-bodied where you don't even consider that not being, you, you, my, you know you're every day so um i think it would it would uh yeah be pretty um hard to stomach for quite some time until i got used to my you know new situation i like the honesty and the very first thing you said and then you kind of caught yourself but the very first thing you said a second ago was oh it'll be devastating and i picked up on that and i'm not i'm not saying that to like shame you or call you out i'm i found it interesting that you that was the very first thought your brain had was like, Oh wow. And I think, you know, that's a fair assessment. I think the idea Mm. of becoming disabled is fucking scary to a lot of people. Mm. And believe me, as I traverse disability and parts of my disability become more apparent and things change and my body changes and I'm less able to do certain things that I was able to yesterday or the other day. And Mm. things are slowly removed from my ability level it is fucking scary. So I don't think that your reaction is a bad one. I think it's an important um, way of looking at it though, because it, mm. when I, when I, and I've asked so many other people, like I I had Dan Savage on a couple of years ago and I asked him the same question and he goes, uh, would it make me a bad person if I said it would suck? And I was like, no, you, no, it's fine. But most people, when I pose that question to them, they get scared because, mm the whole idea of them losing their freedom is terrifying. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And that, the sense of autonomy, I think, too, um, and agency, they're two things that I really value in my life. And um, I, you know, I'm a very fast-paced person. I like doing a lot of different things. I, um, you know, I love playing sport. I love, I throw ceramics. Um, I love working a lot. I love uh, travel, like so many things that I, uh, I love gardening, um, you know, outdoor hikes, uh, you know, 
trekking, camping, like so many of the things that bring me a lot of joy, I would imagine they're not going to be impossible, but they're going to be much more difficult based on um, my circumstance and depending how severe that disability was as well. All right. Well, let's pretend you have my level of disability. So you woke, you wake up in the morning and, and you magically have cerebral palsy. So you're, you're a power wheelchair user. You can't, you can't help yourself. You need help to do pretty much everything. And you've kind of told me, you kind of like said what your day to day is. So if you were to wake up and not be able to take care of yourself from the second you woke up, how do you think this would change your day? So, I mean, I work predominantly in a chair by a computer. So that part of the day would probably be the most similar to what I do now. Um, however, there is a lot of movement in that too. Uh, you know, we work, I work from home a little bit, but I mainly go to an office. I walk there, like all of that sort of thing um, would, would, would change. Um, I probably have to move house because I live in a house with stairs. Uh, that's probably the yeah. first you probably would, and I don't know how uh, accessible Melbourne is. Mm. I know. Yeah, yeah like, it's, it's, it's relatively flat as a city, which is much easier to, you know, circumnavigate than a place like Sydney, which is a lot of hills. Yeah, um, yeah I, so, you know, I, I, my daily routine at the moment is waking up at 5.30, um, you know, going to the gym by 6, being home by 7.00 you know, showering, uh, you know, getting it to work by sort of eight um, and then having a full day of work, you know, that might revolve around a number of meetings and different bits and pieces um, all around, you know, drip and products and, and, and content and all that sort of okay. stuff. Okay, so I mean, so like let's break the just that morning part up for a second. <laughs> so like just you getting up, first of all, good luck getting up at 5.30 because you have to rely on someone else who uh, who has to get up to get you up. So you're probably not getting up realistically to like seven, seven, seven thirty, maybe eight o'clock if you're lucky. You depending on traffic for someone else, depending on all their stuff. Like just the idea, because I know exactly what you mean. You get up and you hop out of bed and you take care of yourself. Like if you can't do that and you're totally relying on someone else, like mm. that whole first section of you getting out of bed, having a shower, that that by itself takes. Like I'm trying to think about my morning routine. That by itself takes an, just getting up, having a shower, having breakfast, getting dressed. That takes an hour and a half, and they don't start. I on where I live in my wake up in my in my wake up routine. I'm the second person on usually, so mm. they at seven they have somebody, and then at eight thirty I'm the next one. And like you're you're lucky if they're you know on time, and you're lucky if they're able to assist you and then the whole idea of like you having to get to work luckily for me i work from home but like or you know going to the gym and having a shower all that stuff like that's not happening because you gotta rely on someone else of course i imagine i I wouldn't i like i i don't really tell anyone this because um i don't want to be judged but i do crossfit (laughs) um oh no We have to end you're the podcast. Those, <laughs> you're one of those games? Oh, no. no I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> we can edit this bit out, maybe. I don't tell yeah, anyone. Yeah. I, I just say I go to the... <laughs> but I would probably have to quit um, that cult, uh, which is probably, you know, maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's not so bad for you. But, I mean, in terms of what you could do in the morning, 
you could still get up. It would have to be later. You could you could still get exercise, but it might have to be mm-hmm. the pool, and it might have to be something different. Yeah. Like absolutely, and different. I love you know, I love swimming. Um, I love yeah. So hopefully, I could still incorporate some sort of exercise. I find if I can't exercise, I can't sleep. So yeah. I really need to do something um, in my day to to really get to sleep uh, at night. Um, but uh, following that, yeah, I, I guess I would assume I'm in a relationship with a uh, partner. Um, uh, he works, he has a career and he works uh, for the fire brigade here in Melbourne. Um, so he would. Wait a minute. I, wait a minute. Hold on. You just hit on my like gay dream. <laughs> you, you're, you're Australian, you're ginger and you're dating a fireman. I can't. <laughs> Yes, I'm dating a fireman with a with a big hose. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, so he, he uh, uh, yeah, he, he would keep his career, I imagine. Which well, um, he'd have to because he'd have to. How's he going to carry you around? If we're how's he going to like has to stay fit because he's got to help his partner out. Yeah, um, I, but one thing I would be aware of would be that the shift in, you know, relationships are, are, are fragile and I would worry that even if initially he could handle the, um, you know, the the change in setting over time, I imagine our relationship would change so much that I could imagine it might be difficult for him to stay with me because so much of what we do and love together has to do with us being active and out and about and all of that. It's not a... a, a um, yeah, that would be a huge shift and I would have a lot of fear around that, I think. And I think that's a really, you know, what you've said is to, and I'm not in a relationship and I'll probably, I'll probably never be in one because gay men are trash, but, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, but, you know, um, you, the fear of when I go on hookup apps, when I go on Grinder and Scruff mm-hmm. and all those apps that we go on, so many guys will say to me like, Oh, I'm only looking for an active guy. Like I, we can't, I can't go on a date with you because you don't, mm-hmm. you know, rock climb or you don't hike or you don't do all these things. Mm-hmm. And I'm always like, but I'm, I, I can be active in other ways. I can be a, like a, a good date in other ways. I can make you laugh your ass off. Like mm-hmm. there are other things that I can offer. And so I think, yeah, your, what you and your partner did together. I mean, please play fireman and like, hot disabled partner together that's i mean the, it's it's right there for you please play with that but like you know you you'd have to shift your your views on stuff and like mm. i think your partner would go through you and your partner will go through a grieving process of like mm. oh you can't do this anymore um mm. and i think you know for me when i when i when i say that i'm disabled on a dating app or on, when I'm meeting somebody for a coffee and they see how disabled I am and they've said, Oh, they've said initially in the app, like, Oh, you're in a wheelchair. It's no problem. And then they roll into the coffee shop or they walk into the coffee shop and they see just when I mean, when I say I'm disabled, they go, Oh fuck. I didn't, re- I wasn't aware that you were that disabled. So I think, you know, you like, I'm not sure of the relationship you have with your partner, but let's, pretend you were even trying to date guys would probably be like oh wow oh that's a lot Mm. yeah absolutely um and i mean yeah as you say gay men are trash um or at least you know there's this there's a 
yeah, there's a level of, um, I mean, I, I, I assume it's similar for non-queer disabled people. Um, but yeah, it's a difficult, um, yeah, it would be really difficult to navigate being in a relationship, but I think equally or even more so um, being single and trying to navigate dating. Dating is the worst. Uh, on a good day. Yeah, on a good day. Um, so, yeah, having that experience. I mean, there's some, maybe there would be some, um, the current circumstance of dating, like everyone meets online um, in in gay culture now I feel so uh there's at least access universally to that which I think you know you can at least have you know floaty texts or you know sort of um uh, yeah pick exchange and I mean a lot of a lot of gay men that's all they're doing anyway so <laughs> yeah they're they're dick pic collectors yeah yeah exactly so um yeah I, that, that would be a really something I'd be really aware of and I think to your relationship with your body um and um yeah there, there's a lot of uh, I think a lot of queer people um have a unique relationship with them it's something very universal in the queer experience in having a unique relationship with your body whether you um yeah whether it's uh, you know sort of body dysmorphia or um whether it's sort of bigorexia or or e- eating related stuff or, or exercise related stuff there's so much it's such a loaded space I think for queer people yeah. and growing up um and that's people you know even without without any disability um most of the friends I have uh that are queer have a, a unique relationship to their body um yeah and um that would be an added layer to to that sort of um situation as well I imagine uh, and you said. know you talked earlier in the you talked at the beginning about like the minute I posted to you you said well I'm really fit I work out I do all this stuff and I kind of giggled because I was like that relationship to fitness would change like mm. I I can't be as fit as I would like to be because even if I could swim every day and then like there's a pool five feet from where I live but it's about finding someone that you trust in the water, finding mm. someone you feel safe with, finding someone that has the time and the energy and the strength mm. to devote to like giving you that workout. And so like, I think yeah. as a queer disabled person in this hypothetical, like your relationship to your body would change. And like, you know, one of the things I'm thinking about, you know, in relationship to body is like, and you know, I'm going to get a little bit blue here. If you're okay with that, I'm going to ask you some like sexy questions. Um, how do you think your relationship to, to, to sex would change? Mm. I guess it would, it would depend on the severity of the disability. Um, but I imagine it would be really difficult. Um, I mean, sex with my partner would, I imagine he would be, oh, I would hope he would be really patient and, um, willing to, you know, continue that, um, we're in an open relationship, so I feel like we would, or he would at least be able to seek sex outside of our relationship, but that's, uh, you know, that's normal at the moment anyway. So um, maybe that would help uh, with the burden or with, you know, the change in circumstance. Um, my favourite part of listening to you right now, and thank you for being so candid, my favourite part of listening to you is when you, I'm listening to you and I agree with everything you're saying, but I'm also hearing you catch yourself on word that you're afraid that, 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 that I'm going to be afraid of. Don't worry. It's fine. But I find it interesting. Like 
you you slipped up there a second ago and said Britain, and I was like, oh wow, like that's like I, like it's so funny, isn't it? How like even without without even thinking about it, I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm saying without even thinking about mm-hmm. it in our culture, the language of ableism is like there, it's right mm. there, and it's so easy. Yeah, to, absolutely. Like, I mean, I think we were talking about the context of sex, which a lot of my sex life revolves around my partner, and I ultimately that change in situation, I think would, um, I, I couldn't help but feel uh, like a burden to him if I yeah. lost my, you know, autonomy and ability to, um, yeah, also trying to feel sexy too. Like uh, we've been in a relationship for seven years. So, um, you know, there's a degree of. Um, so you've reached the point in the relationship where you can fart, you can fart in the room and nobody cares. I think we were doing that from the second or third day. We really, <laughs> we really never held back on that stuff. I'm very open and I, you know, would prefer to, um, yeah, see someone poo in front of me and, and get that over with rather than trying to be coy and, uh, about all that sort of stuff. Um, I think, yeah. Okay. I, I, like, I, well, oh. what if you were the one that had to poo in front of him and then, and then needed your ass wiped? Like, like, yeah, I mean that's that's a lot. We've got we've got hey, um, we've got one of those tushy bidets. <laughs> so oh, nice. So I would hope that that would help um, with that scenario. But yeah, I mean showering, all of that, um, it would all change pretty pretty significantly. Um, and yeah, I think for me, you know, yeah, um, cruising, uh, beats, hookup, kind of culture. Uh, is very omnipresent in gay culture or at least in, you know, metropolitan, cosmopolitan kind of gay cultures. Yeah. Uh, and I think I just assume that, and these are very like slapdash kind of experiences where you're, you know, uh, meeting someone. Where it's like 2 a.m. and you've met on Grinder, and you, you, you're five minutes away, I'm going to come fuck you and I'm going to leave. Yeah, like- yeah, or it's like 7 a.m. in the morning and you're just like, you know, quick, uh, quickly getting, uh, yeah, getting off in a scenario and all those sort of that spontaneity, I would assume is just completely out the window. Um, I mean, to answer that question for you, that spontaneity, it does change. And mm-hmm. I will say like the, the, the fantasies I have around sex and being queer and being disabled, my biggest fantasies are being in a scenario where I can access spontaneity. And I can't do that. Like I work with some great sex workers, fantastic people, mm-hmm. but all of that is planned out. All mm-hmm. of that is written down. Like we schedule it. It's prepaid. Everybody mm-hmm. knows what the deal is. There's no like, Hey, want to go fucking that bush over there? Or Hey, want to go like make out in the showers of the gym? I mean, or, hey, wanna... I, I, I completely agree with you, but there is a degree of um, that is a fantasy in the sense that, you know, even as a totally able-bodied person, you got a douche for like, you know, 30 minutes sometimes, sometimes longer if your guts are crook. So I feel like that spontaneity that's very much in porn, I think the realities of that are very, very different. I'm sorry to like burst your fantasy bubble. No, 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 I, I agree with you. But like, you know, and the way, the way unfortunately our queer community kind of thrives on that fantasy of spontaneity, every content creator on OnlyFans, every like person on Scruffs, that mm. fantasy is where we kind of like, a lot of our sexuality lives and so like mm-hmm. you'll see it on like OnlyFans and Scruff and Twitter and all those places of like was at the gym and I met a guy in the shower and then we're gonna blow each other like mm-hmm. that kind of those kind of scenarios for a disabled person like me 
that's that's something that's never gonna happen no matter mm. how much no matter like even if i told my sex worker like my biggest fantasy is to do x like that spontaneity is still taken away from it and that mm-hmm. as a disabled person like i can tell you that even though i've never had that i miss it even though it's never happened mm. yeah yeah i guess it's that idea of possibility right and potential and that's so yeah. that's erotic um that yeah it would be um it would be yeah it would be sad to to lose that i think that that would uh, dissipate over time as well in the sense that i'm you know i'm 34 um and you know horny i think that hopefully as i got older uh, i would you know um that would ease slightly i hope it's i, I can, hope it eases anyway. i can tell <laughs> you i can tell you the I, I can tell you the answer is no no i'm i'm four years your senior so i guess technically i'm a queer elder to you i don't know but like i'm i'm daddy adjacent now and like <laughs> and it doesn't go away in fact because i don't i've never had the the opportunity to really play in the spontaneous space like the urgency and the desire for that only gets stronger mm. Mm. and you quell it down you don't like i don't think about it i don't i don't worry about it but like there are days where i'm like man i really wish that i could just like go into the sauna and meet a dude and see what happens mm. yeah yeah absolutely i think yeah we're very privileged as uh, queer people, particularly queer men, to access those kind of spaces um, and have sex kind of on tap uh, in in a lot of ways. Uh, and yeah, I would uh, I would definitely miss that. Um, I would hope that. Yeah, I think the yeah, I would hope that. I know I know there are accessible sex on premise venues here in Melbourne, uh, so I would hope that I would still be able to go to those. Um, and yeah, even. Yeah, even just being able to go to those spaces, I think, even if not fucking someone in them or whatever, um, I would hope that that would, um, you know, still feel like I'm a part of it. Uh, and yeah, how do you think your friends and your community would react to you, like mm. showing up one day as a full time wheelchair user? Yeah, I think I would hope that I think initially they would probably go over and beyond you know over and above uh, I've got very close friends I'm very close with my family we all live you know very close to each other um, so I would hope that they would all um, you know step up uh, and and really help uh, and yeah I mean I'm privileged uh, enough to hopefully be able to afford a worker um, that would be able to you know help me live um and keep working and you know that sense I'm, I'm very much addicted to my routine and and I find that when I don't have routine I you know even going on holidays for longer than say two weeks I kind of find a little bit um uh you know uh uh yeah I, I just miss I miss the sort of quotidian uh, routine of my life so I would hope that I would be able to f- create one of those that felt you know, good, fulfilling, you know, it involved work, involved a bit of exercise, hopefully involved a bit of sex. Uh, and uh, it better fucking involve sex. I mean, you're disabled, you, you would be disabled, you wouldn't be dead, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, your everyday life, yeah, or well, my everyday life doesn't necessarily involve sex every day. It probably involves jerking off every day, uh, at least. Well, once. that uh, might change. 
Yeah, well, I would hope with um, uh, with certain toys and uh, capabilities, I would be able to maintain <laughs> that. Uh, that, that was a nice uh, that was a nice uh, shout out plug. Thank you for quietly yeah. plugging the bump and joystick. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, I guess I would I would be um, I would hopefully have a lot of bump and joysticks. Uh, <laughs> we would get you some at, at cost, and we we would figure it out. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about, like, you know, you talked about routine a minute ago, you would have a routine. The problem is that you would have no control over that routine. Mm. Like I have a routine every day where I get up, I I do all my stuff. And I like, I've been doing this routine now in this location for almost seven years. And I don't have a say in what, how that routine works. I can have input, which means I get to say, oh, maybe I'd like this. That doesn't mean I'll get it. And so like mm. listening to you talk about how you like that structure and how you're a planner and how you do all this stuff. Like if you lost the ability to decide on that routine, you might be super pissed off for a while. Like you might, you might like your patience level, I think would have to change a bit because you would go from like, and I'm learning this a lot with my disability too, even though I've had it my whole life and I've been disabled my whole life as I get older having to relent and let somebody else do something for me or decide something for me. Mm. As I get older, I'm like, Oh fuck, this is really hard. I don't know if I wanted, I don't know if I like being told I have to go to bed at 10 30 or being told I have to get up at this time or being told like, you know, I that so-and-so can't help me now because blah, like it's really hard. And so I think you would have the routine. You just have no control over it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which, yeah, that sense of agency, um, to be gone would be, yeah, pretty hard. It would be really hard and it would take a long time to get used to, I think. Yeah, it would. And I mean, and I mean, you know, this is a hypothetical, but I always say like all of us will become disabled at some point. Mm -hmm. So I think that we, that even though this is a, this is a hypothetical little thought experiment, you should think about that stuff now because you know, in 20, 30 years, disability might become a part of your life. Or you might meet a really hot disabled sex partner out there in the world that you want to mess around with. And you're going to need the tools to do that. So it's something we should always be thinking about um, because it's very real. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to shift because one of the things I want to do, because you are queer and non-disabled, I think there's a lot of ableism in our community. And I think queer men, like I said earlier, jokingly, they are trash, but I truly believe they are trash. And I believe that because they have a lot of, of uneducation around disability. And, and queer men particularly have a lot of ableism because they've not been educated. So I want to give you, Hugh, a chance to ask me any questions that you have around sex and disability, mm. anything at all. Not, I'm not, don't be shy. Yeah. Just ask. Um, Any questions so we can combat the ableism together? How do you douche? Well, I don't because okay. I don't, I, I can't bottom at this point because my, the muscles in my anus are really tight and then mm -hmm. well, my whole body is tight. So the whole idea of like continuous penetration from a dick, well, hot and I'm here for it. I'm also like, yeah, that's going to really hurt my, my body because. Right. My body can't deal with that. So I 
haven't bottomed for somebody, and I've said this on the show before, haven't bottomed for somebody, really want to, really, like, it's, a, it's a, one of my fantasies, and yes, it's a fantasy, is to be, like, gang-banged by a bunch of dudes, because I've never, I've never had that experience before, I've never yeah. been on the receiving end of, of anal sex, so, like, I can't douche, I'd have to have a whole discussion with the partner about, like, I can do it, I've had enemas before, I've had all that stuff, like, that's not, scary for me Mm. but the fear you know you talked a few minutes ago about the fear of your partner being okay with all this stuff i would be fucking terrified of being like yo so you're gonna see a bunch of shit before you fuck me like are Mm. you cool with that is that comfy for you like that whole idea of needing that kind of help i'm so comfortable being like hey i got a shit can you help me out or hey i got a pee can you do this for me like i'm so used to that but any idea of like a sexual partner that I am with needing to help me with that. It makes me, and I'm a seasoned cripple. So I've done this for years, but then that makes me like, it's so uncomfortable. Cause I don't, I don't know how I would react. I have no idea how, mm. I, how I would feel in that situation. Yeah. Um, what else do I want to know? Um, what would you, how do you feel? Um, oh God. Um, what what are the positions that work well, or what are things that um, you know you feel like positions like what kind of what? positions or certain practices that um, are really fulfilling or really pleasurable? I mean, I would say, and there's a new term. There's a, like it's not a new term, but it's a new talked about term on the TikTok and on the Scruff and on the Twitter about top, bottom, top, and side. I would say. I'm aside because I don't anal sex is not a big deal for me. Like it's not really that important for me to fuck or be fucked to get off. I'm more about like the, because of my disability, like, and because I'm unable to do a lot of physical stuff, I'm more into the emotional stuff. I'm more into like Mm. the making out. I'm more into like the cutting, cuddling and talking and that leading to like mutual hand jobs, mutual oral, like stuff. Like that. I guess that's so like, more intimate at times as well. It's that intimacy. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, you know, it's funny that you bring up intimacy because I'm thinking about like, there are moments where I would like to be like, you know, chatting to a guy on Grinder or Scruff and being like, hey, my ass is up, come in the door, fuck me and leave. Like, I'd love to have that. Again, that's a fantasy. And like, given my disability, the reality of that would super not be safe. So I wouldn't, <laughs> I could never do that. But like, you know, I have to kind of allow myself to go into the more intimate parts. And I think that scares a lot of guys away because mm. our queer male culture is so embedded in ass up, dick out, going to fuck you, going to like come all mm. over your face, going to come all over your body and then leave. And I'll never know your name. And I'll never know anything about you. We'll never speak again. Like, and that's it. And like my disability forces me to have to think about intimacy and access to intimacy mm. and all those things that most gay men don't consider. I mean, one of my favorite positions is, well, <laughs> the only position that I'm, that I'm actually able, ever able to do is called the um, dead turtle position. I've made it up. I don't know if it's real, which is basically me on my back and a partner has to come up and do all the work basically. And yep. so the running, the running joke is, for me the running joke is I can't walk but I sure as fuck can use my mouth 
Um, so like my able body partner would have to do most of the work. Um, but really what's comfortable for me is watching a partner be comfortable around my disability, mm-hmm. watching them get to a place where we can make a disability joke together, watching yeah. them get to a place where it doesn't scare the shit out of them that their partner is mm-hmm. severely disabled. Um, and I think it can be really hard for me to, to feel comfy even when I'm with somebody that I know even when I'm with my sex worker that I've known for years and worked mm-hmm. with for years he's fantastic and great and we have great a great time together but it can be really frustrating and I'm like you can leave my house and go and like fuck a dude proper or get fucked proper and I can't do that and so there's a lot of mm-hmm. I think if we were to jump back into the thought experiment for a second I think you would like if you were the disabled one, you would feel a lot of shame and a lot of like loneliness of like, not loneliness that you couldn't go hang out with your friends, couldn't do any of that, but also the loneliness of like, I can't access the same level of queerness you can. Mm. Mm. And I have no one to talk to about it. And that's hard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think so much of my identity is, is in that queerness, you know, be it, you know, uh, yeah, venues, people, places, events, um, all of that, you're, you're a part of a community. Um, and not saying that being disabled wouldn't mean that you're a part of that community, but there is a certain level of removed, um, that I think or isolation that you would, that I would feel, uh, if, if that was the case. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, I always, people always say, oh, you're part of the community. And I go, really? Well, how many bars are accessible? Like mm-hmm. how many, how many back rooms have you made wheelchair accessible? How many fundraisers mm-hmm. have you held? to have a ramp in your queer space like mm-hmm. well you you can preach that i'm welcome all you want am i really like mm-hmm. so i don't like part of the reason why i throw this thought experiment to my queer um non-disabled friends because it really gets them thinking about like wow our space is really not that acceptable mm-hmm. wow yeah i think i don't know what the laws are like in canada uh, around that but all venues in australia have uh, well, at least all the venues I can think of, like the gay ones I'm going through my mind, um, they all have uh, accessibility. Um, now, I'm not sure. I, I imagine there are varying degrees of that, but I think there's, yeah. there's been quite a lot of uh, laws passed around building um, since the, say, the 80s or so. And don't quote me on this, but there, there has to be, you know, accessible toilets in every venue that's that's created. There has to be um, you know, accessible accessibility through the front of the venue, uh, ramps, all that sort of stuff. So um, I would hope that I would still be able to engage in the venues. The way you're treated in the venues, I imagine changes dramatically. Yeah, I was just gonna, I was um, just gonna say, I was like, yeah, you, even like, if you can get in, you don't necessarily want to be there because, yeah, uh, as you say, gay men, gay men are trash. Um, and I think and, that, and you be, know, I, and I wouldn't mind being their trash hole occasionally, but they'd have to be, they'd have. <laughs> They'd have to talk to me in order for that to be happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, I could imagine there'd be a, a huge amount of isolation I would feel. Um, and yeah, you just take it for granted as an able-bodied person. Absolutely. Um, I, yeah, certainly since, uh, since we caught up the first time we chatted, um, I've always tried to make a concerted effort to, you know, either go over to or smile or wave or engage with um, people in uh, wheelchairs or, or, you know, in uh, any of those types of scenarios because I have uh, definitely thought a lot more about it since we spoke about it and since I've become oh, well, a podcast. 
Oh, well, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Cause you know, it's really, I've been in those situations where I've been in those, those queer spaces and I've, I've, of the few that I can get in, when I do go in, I feel I'm there. Everybody's dancing, doing all this stuff and shirtless and doing all the things that queer men do. And I'm over in the corner being like, why is no one going to talk to me? And like, mm. so to have the cute ginger Aussie guy give you a wave. I mean, that that's, I mean, I would, that would make me feel nice. Even if it didn't go anywhere, it would make me feel nice to like have a little bit of that connection. Cause we, it's something we very rarely get to access mm. in the queer space. Um, but back to, do you have any other like burning questions you want to ask? Um, what about sexual health? Like in terms of, uh, STI checks, you know, HIV tests, taking things like um, sort of stuff. Do you, does that, is that, I mean, generally here, there's like a, you know, you get tested every three, three, six, 12 months based on your practices. Um, you know, things like monkeypox, you know, having access to, um, all of that. Is it something that you as a sexually active person living with a disability access, or is it something that you sort of, um, yeah. How does that work in Canada? I mean, I, 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 my doctor, it's it really, it depends on the doctor you have mm. and it depends on the GP that you're working with. Luckily, the GP I have right now is super sex positive and super like, Hey, so if you're fucking around, you should do this. And so she's really cool that way. And like when monkeypox started being a thing, she called me and she was like, Hey, so, uh, there's this monkeypox clinic in Toronto. You might want to go. And I just kind of giggled. And I was like, oh, who's it for? And she told me. She's like, oh, it's for, you know, men who have sex with men and, like, more and more people who have more than one sexual partner. And I just giggled and I was like, so I just kind of was like, okay, cool. And I hung on the phone and all I thought was, oh, so she knows I'm a giant whore. Like, she knows <laughs> I'm a big slut. And she let it... I mean, oh, you kind of made the job to do that, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> so, like, yeah. So like I I giggled and I got it done and I was lucky enough when I went for my first monkeypox shot I'm still waiting on number two until they open it up here but um when I went I wheeled up in my chair and said I need support and they had somebody walk me through all the stuff help me fill out the forms help me get the shot no questions and it was really I was surprised because that usually doesn't ever happen. They usually are really wary when they see somebody in a wheelchair coming in for testing. Um, I have had experiences where they were like, well, you don't need to get tested. You're fine. And I'm like, but I just sucked a dick like 24 yeah. hours ago that I didn't know. I don't let this should. wheelchair pull you. I'm a, I'm a big slut. <laughs> yeah. Don't let this like shy, meek demeanor fool you. <laughs> I fuck around. So like, like. You know, I, I'm lucky with it's my... It's all an act. I'm just pretending yeah. to be coy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I've been lucky that my um, experiences of sexual health have been pretty good. Mm. Even with the, my, my doctor, who I love and who's great. I remember one day I came in for an SCI test and she said, were you the receptive partner of the anal sex you had last night? And I said, no, I was the, the giving partner. And she goes... Woo, good, because if you were the receptive partner, we'd have to get you out of your chair and do a swab, and that's too much work. And I kind of went, you know, Doc, one day I am going to be the receptive partner of that, and you're going to have to do that. So get ready, like, like even though she's supportive, I like I immediately clocked that, like, oh, you're worried that testing may be too much work. 
yeah. really like and so i didn't i didn't call her on it she's great and i was like okay whatever no big deal but in the back of my mind i was like yeah it's kind of problematic what you said because one day i will get back with the ass and i'm gonna need that swab and mm-hmm. you're gonna have to do it so yeah yeah totally um I was just thinking back to your situation around your ass and sensitivity and stuff. Have you tried, um, have you tried any butt plugs? I haven't. I had a a small butt plug might be like a good place to start because it's not necessarily, um, yeah, if you're, you know, it's just put in there and left, uh, one with a flange, obviously, um, which is the base of the butt plug. Yeah. Without that, they can, go in there and never come out Fun, um, but if you started with a small one and a lot of gay men have very ambitious sized butt plugs i wouldn't recommend starting with one of those um yeah. but if you're if you're if you're and again if you're a side then maybe you don't i mean it feels great though it feels great to have that pressure on your prostate and wouldn't necessarily be you know um smashing you in the prostate like a, a like a person or a, a bigger you know dick shaped kind of dildo um but that kind of plug might work really well as a starting point did you, you know it's it's 9 44 over there did you think you were going to say dildo at 9 44 this morning probably not yeah usually uh, that's um, kind of my day that's kind of my job <laughs> <laughs> um you know but to answer your question you know i have ibs so i have a lot yep. of pressure in there already mm. so i don't know how i would feel about like i will try it if i can ever find a partner that wants to try the trouble mm. with working exclusively with sex workers is that I can't be like put this in me for two hours and then come back and take it out. I'd have to have a whole discussion with my care team about why I was doing that. And it's so, because I'm relying on someone else for everything. Like Mm. even those moments of freedom to put in or take out a butt plug would have to rely on another person. And also Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, like, I don't know how, Sexy, I would feel being like, "Hey, you random attendant, do you want to take out this mm-hmm. butt plug in my ass?" Like, thanks. Yeah. So, so the but, but if I ever, <laughs> I'm just thinking of other toys that I enjoy. There's a you can get a cock ring with a vibrating um, piece that sits on your perineum. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily go inside you, but it still gives you that like prostate stimulation. Um, yeah, that would maybe be a good uh, option to get some of the sensation that you get from uh, anal play. Um, and I wonder what, what that would then be. you just leave it on. It's just a cock ring, like a normal cock ring, but it also has that. I wonder what that would. I wonder what a cock ring because I haven't worn one in a while. I wonder what it would be like sitting down in my chair. How it would feel? I think it would probably feel okay. Like I know people who wear cock rings to work every day, <laughs> so <Hot. laughs> you can kind of wear them. Um, you Are know, you telling me that you wear a cock ring to work every day? No, no, I don't. Um, I find them. I like them, but I don't. I don't want to be sitting in my chair or you know at work tapping away at my computer. Um, wearing a cock ring. Um, yeah, yeah. But it might be something you could. Yeah, that might. Maybe you can give that a go. I'll give you, if I ever try it, you'll be the first person I text. Okay, like, cool. Guess what I did? <laughs> um, did you have any any other burning disability questions that you wanted to um, throw my way? I I don't think so. Just um, yeah, I I really admire everything you do and um, what you're creating and have created. Um, I think that oh, uh, thank you. Yeah, if the world had more people uh, like you and it, Andrew, it would be a better place. Oh, well, thank you. That's very nice. I had one or two more questions for you. Um, what has this 
thought experiment made you think about ableism? Yeah, I guess how um, insipid it is in all of our lives and in culture. Um, you know, as you said, like the, my my language is is far from perfect, um, and uh, yeah, it, the the default is that ableist, you know, positioning. Um, and I think that, but, and I and I and I, I just want to say again, I love that you stumbled. I love that you made mistakes because I think where we make mistakes, and I want to even say it's a mistake. I love that you just spoke freely and naturally and then I was able to be like hey let's talk about this for a second Mm -hmm. and just have a chat about it because I think if I if you had said oh it would be devastating for me to be in a wheelchair and I went well that's the ableist thing you said and I stopped you right away it wouldn't have led to conversation it would have turned into Mm -hmm. I'm gonna make you feel ashamed for having an honest thought and I think the way we combat ableism in our community especially the queer community is letting queer men make those mistakes mm. you know as long as they, they make it without malicious intent but it's a genuine mistake or a genuine like way of thinking and then I can go in gently and be like hey can we talk about that thing you said here's why that might be ableist I think yeah which is why what you're doing creates such positive change as well it's the opposite to this sort of cancel culture approach um, and it's met with you know uh, yeah empathy and and love um, yeah radical radical empathy love joy care just like you know to, to all my trash queer men out there i want to suck your dick and i want to mess around with you but i can't do that if you're being ableist but i can do that if you do an ableist thing and i gently say to you like hey can we talk about that and you actually engage mm-hmm. in conversation i think the way we combat ableism in the queer community is to allow people to 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 think those things but then gently come in at the end and be like, cool, thank you for being honest. Here's why I think that's we could fix that. Not to say it's a problem, not to say that they're all bad people. And like, maybe I should even correct my own language. Not all queer men are trash. They've done trashy things around ableism and they need to fix that. Um, uh, and then how, how do you, Hugh, being a, a prominent member of the queer community, um, and a super cute one too. How how do how do you think we can combat ableism in our communities? I mean, what you're doing, Andrew, is I, I think you are um, holding the baton for for many. But I think conversations like this, um, and um, yeah, obviously things like venue accessibility. But not only that, it's about once you're into that venue, a be it a you know queer community space or bar, club, whatever it is. Um, yeah, trying to break down those barriers because there is, um, yeah, such a implied or inherent barriers that exist um, for between able-bodied people and disabled people. Um, and I imagine that uh, can be incredibly exhausting as uh, people living with disability to be confronted by that, you know, constantly. Um, so, yeah, if there's anything that further that uh, able-bodied people can do, um yeah, please sing out. I would love to start uh, considering uh, disability more in the types of products we make. We already do consider it in the content we make, um, but uh, maybe we should be doing uh, mixes like the one you're talking about as well. Um, it would, would be so cool to do a mixer. Like I would love a, 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 a um, 
disabled DJ um, or DJ living with a disability to to come and create a drip mix for us. That would be excellent. So if you know any, please let me know. I'll, I'll when this airs in, we're recording this in the beginning of September. This will air probably the beginning of October. And I'm saying that so I don't forget because it will <laughs> air this time. Um, well, I'll reach out to some people that I know and put a call out and see what happens. And if you're listening and you're a, if you're a disabled DJ out there, uh, reach out to Hugh in the drip mix. Um, any final thoughts, Hugh? Any final things you want to say? Um, I don't think so. Just thank you very much for having me on the show. And um, please keep doing what you're doing because I'm always listening. And I think there are a lot of people out there who are as well. Uh, I think it has so much uh, resonance and relevance for um, communities beyond just ours and, um, yeah, beyond anyone uh, just living with a disability. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, I would love for you to, if ever your hot fireman boyfriend wants to come on the on the show and play the same game, let me know because I think it would be a fun little game to play. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I can definitely propose it to him um, uh, when he gets home from work tonight. I'll let him know that you're a fan, even though you haven't seen him. Just the idea of him. <laughs> I'll just be like, just be like, my friend knows you're a hot fireman, and that's hot. Um, no, but also because, like, you know, he's a fireman, so he 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 has to, you know, do certain physical things, and it, may, it might be fun to just see his reaction to what would just happen. Just want an excuse to be able to flirt with him for an hour and a half. I mean, listen, okay? <laughs> I wouldn't say no to that either. I can see no, straight no, to you, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty pretty translucent there. It's all good. It's all good. Um, but how can the people, if they want to follow Drip and they want to support you and they want to do all those things, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, they can uh, follow us on Instagram at uh, dripfeed, D-R-I-P-F-E-E-D dot life. Um, similarly on TikTok, which we just launched this week. Uh, they can also go to www.dripfeed.life. They can follow us on Spotify as well uh, under Drip, uh, Sex and Intimacy. And otherwise, slide into our DMs. Uh, you can email me at hello at droopfeed.life. Uh, all my details are there. Uh, if you'd like to support us, please buy our products. The only way we can do what we're doing is through um, creating revenue uh, to continue creating content and paying out all our content contributors uh, through people purchasing products. So, And uh, a lot of people in the U.S. are listening to this. So just I want to be clear, can you ship out there? Is it possible Absolutely. for you to ship? We, we, have, we send three or four, uh, at the moment, three or four orders a month to the U.S. Um, it does cost a little bit more in shipping, but the Australian dollar does mean that um, it's relative, you know, cheaper to purchase them yeah. um, from the U.S. because the U.S. dollar is strong than the Australian dollar. Um, but yes, absolutely we do. Uh, we I think we're actually featured in uh, Men's Health, uh, U, the US version of Men's Health. Oh, look at that. That's really cool. Lubricants, uh, our water-based lube uh, made it into their um, their top lubricants uh, for 2022. So um, well, yeah, check awesome. it out. Uh, it's They're great products. They're very well considered uh, and they're, you know, queer owned, queer founded um, with sex positivity in mind. Awesome. Hugh Crothers of Drip, thank you so much for uh, for just being my friend and for chatting and, and doing this little fun experiment with me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening, everyone. All right. See you later. Bye. See ya. 
Alright friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I was of course your delectable daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for being here, thank you so much for listening, and shining a bright light on disability stories with me. If you want to follow all my work and see all my links and all the cool stuff I'm doing, you can head over to my new website, aagerza.com. And all my stuff is there, my social links are there, my website is there, my podcast is there, everything is there, and you can follow along with the show that way. If you want to leave a review for the show, please do so wherever you get your podcast. It really does help keep the bright lights shining on this show. If you want to support the show financially and get the show one day early, completely ad-free, as well as a shout-out on the air, consider pledging as little as $1 a month or $5 a month or more by going to patreon.com slash disability after dark. Stay comfy, cozy, and crippled, and we'll shine a bright light on disability stories next time. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Crippling Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022